chapter six of abraham lincoln a history volume ten this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume ten by john hay and john george nicolay chapter six the hampton roads conference with this double-meaning credential the commissioners presented themselves at the union lines near richmond on the evening of january twenty ninth eighteen sixty five and instead of frankly showing their authority asked admission in accordance with an understanding claimed to exist with lieutenant-general grant on their way to washington as peace commissioners the application being telegraphed to washington mr stanton answered that no one should be admitted under such character or profession until the president's instructions were received mr lincoln being apprised of the application promptly dispatched major thomas t eckert an officer of the war department with written directions to admit the commissioners under safe conduct if they would say in writing that they came for the purpose of an informal conference on the basis of his note of january eighteen to mr blair with the view of securing peace to the people of our one common country before this officer arrived however the commissioners reconsidered the form of their application and addressed a new one to general grant asking permission to proceed to washington to hold a conference with president lincoln upon the subject of the existing war and with a view of ascertaining upon what terms it may be terminated in pursuance of the course indicated by him in his letter to mr blair of january eighteen eighteen sixty five pursuant to this request they were provisionally conveyed to grant's headquarters one of them records with evident surprise the unostentatious surroundings of the general-in-chief i was instantly struck with the great simplicity and perfect naturalness of his manners and the entire absence of everything like affectation show or even the usual military air or mien of men in his position he was plainly attired sitting in a log cabin busily writing on a small table by a kerosene lamp it was night when we arrived there was nothing in his appearance or surrounding which indicated his official rank there were neither guards nor aides about him he furnished us with comfortable quarters on board one of his dispatch boats the more i became acquainted with him the more i became thoroughly impressed with the very extraordinary combination of rare elements of character which he exhibited during the time he met us frequently and conversed freely upon various subjects not much upon our mission i saw however very clearly that he was very anxious for the proposed conference to take place the commissioner's note to grant had been a substantial compliance with the requirement of president lincoln and so accepting it the latter on the thirty first of january sent secretary seward to meet them giving him for this purpose the following written instructions executive mansion washington january thirty one eighteen sixty five honorable william h seward secretary of state you will proceed to fortress monroe virginia there to meet and informally confer with messrs stevens hunter and campbell on the basis of my letter to f p blair esq of january eighteen eighteen sixty five a copy of which you have you will make known to them that three things are indispensable to it first the restoration of the national authority throughout all the states second no receding by the executive of the united states on the slavery question from the position assumed thereon in the late annual message to congress and in preceding documents third no cessation of hostilities short of an end of the war 
and the disbanding of all forces hostile to the government you will inform them that all propositions of theirs not inconsistent with the above will be considered and passed upon in a spirit of sincere liberality you will hear all they may choose to say and report it to me you will not assume to definitely consummate anything yours etc abraham lincoln mr seward started on the morning of february one and simultaneously with his departure the president repeated to general grant the monition which the secretary of war had already sent him two days before through major eckhart let nothing which is transpiring change hinder or delay your military movements or plans grant responded to the order promising that no armistice should ensue adding the troops are kept in readiness to move at the shortest notice if occasion should justify it major eckhart arrived while mr seward was yet on his way on informing the commissioners of the president's exact requirement they replied by presenting jefferson davis's instruction this was receding from the terms contained in their note to grant and major eckert promptly notified them that they could not proceed further unless they complied strictly with president lincoln's terms thus at half-past nine on the night of february one the mission of stevens hunter and campbell was practically at an end it was never explained why they took this course for the next day they again changed their minds the only conjecture which seems plausible is that they hoped to persuade general grant to take some extraordinary and dictatorial step one of them hints as much in a newspaper article written long after the war we had tried he wrote to intimate to general grant before we reached old point that a settlement generally satisfactory to both sides could be more easily effected through him and general lee by an armistice than in any other way the attempt was in vain the general had indeed listened to them with great interest and in their eagerness to convert him they had probably indulged in stronger phrases of repentance than they felt about an hour after the commissioners refused major eckert's ultimatum general grant telegraphed the following to secretary stanton from which it will be seen that at least two of the commissioners had declared to him their personal willingness to restore peace and union february one ten thirty p m eighteen sixty five honorable edwin m stanton secretary of war now that the interview between major eckert under his written instructions and mr stevens and party has ended i will state confidentially but not officially to become a matter of record that i am convinced upon conversation with Monsieur stevens and hunter that their intentions are good and their desire sincere to restore peace and union i have not felt myself at liberty to express even views of my own or to account for my reticency this has placed me in an awkward position which i could have avoided by not seeing them in the first instance i fear now their going back without any expression from any one in authority will have a bad influence at the same time i recognize the difficulties in the way of receiving these informal commissioners at this time and do not know what to recommend i am sorry however that mr lincoln cannot have an interview with the two named in this dispatch if not all three now within our lines their letter to me was all that the president's instructions contemplated to secure their safe conduct if they had used the same language to major eckert u s grant lieutenant-general on the morning of february two president lincoln went to the war department and reading major eckert's report was about to recall mr seward by telegraph when grant's dispatch was placed in his hands the communication served to change his purpose resolving not to neglect the indications of sincerity here described he immediately telegraphed in reply say to the gentlemen i will meet them personally at fortress monroe as soon as i can get there 
the commissioners by this time had decided to accept mr lincoln's terms which they did in writing to both major eckert and general grant and therefore were at once conveyed from general grant's headquarters at city point to fort monroe where mr lincoln joined secretary seward on the same night on the morning of february three eighteen sixty five the rebel commissioners were conducted on board the river queen lying at anchor near fort monroe where president lincoln and secretary seward awaited them and in the saloon of that steamer an informal conference of four hours duration ensued it was agreed beforehand that no writing or memorandum should be made at the time so that the record of the interview remains only in the separate accounts which each of the rebel commissioners afterwards wrote out from memory neither mr seward nor president lincoln ever having made any report in detail former personal acquaintance made the beginning easy and cordial through pleasant reminiscences of the past and mutual inquiries after friends in a careful analysis of these reports thus furnished by the confederates themselves the first striking feature is the difference of intention between the parties it is apparent that mr lincoln went honestly and frankly in all friendliness to offer them the best terms he could to secure peace and reunion but to abate no jot of official duty and personal dignity while the main thought of the commissioners was to evade the express condition on which they had been admitted to conference to seek to postpone the vital issue and to propose an armistice by debating a mere juggling expedient against which they had in a private agreement with one another already committed themselves mr stevens began the discussion by asking whether there was no way of restoring the harmony and happiness of former days to which mr lincoln replied there was but one way that he knew of and that was for those who were resisting the laws of the union to cease that resistance mr stevens rejoined that they had been induced to believe that both parties might for a while leave their present strife in abeyance and occupy themselves with some continental question till their anger should cool and accommodation become possible here mr lincoln interposed promptly and frankly i suppose you refer to something that mr blair has said now it is proper to state at the beginning that whatever he said was of his own accord and without the least authority from me when he applied for a passport to go to richmond with certain ideas which he wished to make known to me i told him flatly that i did not want to hear them if he desired to go to richmond of his own accord i would give him a passport but he had no authority to speak for me in any way whatever when he returned and brought me mr davis's letter i gave him the one to which you alluded in your application for leave to cross the lines i was always willing to hear propositions for peace on the conditions of this letter and on no other the restoration of the union is a sine qua non with me and hence my instructions that no conference was to be held except upon that basis despite this express disavowal mr stevens persisted in believing that mr lincoln had come with ulterior designs and went on at considerable length to elaborate his idea of a joint mexican expedition to be undertaken during an armistice and without a prior pledge of ultimate reunion such an expedition he argued would establish the right of self-government to all peoples on this continent against the dominion or control of any european power establishing this principle of the right of peoples to self-government would necessarily also establish by logical sequence the right of states to self-government and present passions being cooled there would ensue an ocean-bound federal republic under the operation of this continental regulator the ultimate absolute sovereignty of each state 
his idea was that all the states might reasonably be expected very soon to return of their own accord to their former relations to the union just as they came together at first by their own consent and for their mutual interests others too would continue to join it in the future as they had in the past this great law of the system would effect the same certain results in its organization as the law of gravitation in the material world mr stephens does not seem to have realized how comically absurd was his effort to convert president lincoln to the doctrine of secession by this very transparent bit of cunning and the others listened with considerate and patient gravity mr seward at length punctured the bubble with a few well-directed sentences when mr hunter also intervened to express his entire dissent from mr stephens's proposal in this view reports mr stephens naively he expressed the joint opinion of the commissioners indeed we had determined not to enter into any agreement that would require the confederate arms to join in any invasion of mexico but the rebel vice-president fails to record why under these circumstances he had opened this useless branch of the discussion at this stage president lincoln brought back the conversation pointedly to the original object of the conference he repeated that he could not entertain a proposition for an armistice on any terms while the great and vital question of reunion was undisposed of that was the first question to be settled he could enter into no treaty convention or stipulation or agreement with the confederate states jointly or separately upon that or any other subject but upon the basis first settled that the union was to be restored any such agreement or stipulation would be a quasi recognition of the states then in arms against the national government as a separate power that he never could do this branch of the discussion also reports judge campbell was closed by mr lincoln who answered that it could not be entertained that there could be no war without the consent of congress and no treaty without the consent of the senate of the united states that he could make no treaty with the confederate states because that would be a recognition of those states and that this could not be done under any circumstances that unless a settlement were made there would be danger that the quarrel would break out in the midst of the joint operations that one party might unite with the common enemy to destroy the other that he was determined to do nothing to suspend the operations for bringing the existing struggle to a close to attain any collateral end mr lincoln in this part of the conversation admitted that he had power to make a military convention and that his arrangements under that might extend to settle several of the points mentioned but others it could not the theory of secession as a conservative principle and the bait of a joint expedition to steal mexico under guise of enforcing the monroe doctrine being thus cleared away the discussion turned to the only reasonable inquiry which remained judge campbell asked how restoration could be effected if the confederate states would consent mentioning important questions such as the disbandment of the army confiscation acts on both sides the effect of the emancipation proclamation representation in congress the division of virginia and so on which would inevitably arise and require immediate adjustment on these various topics much conversation ensued which even as briefly reported is too long to be quoted entire it will be more useful to condense under specific headings the substantial declarations and offers which the commissioners report mr lincoln to have made 
one reconstruction the shortest way the insurgents could effect this he said was by disbanding their armies and permitting the national authorities to resume their functions mr seward called attention to that phrase of his annual message where he had declared in stating a single condition of peace i mean simply to say that the war will cease on the part of the government whenever it shall have ceased on the part of those who began it as to the rebel states being admitted to representation in congress mr lincoln very promptly replied that his own individual opinion was they ought to be he also thought they would be but he could not enter into any stipulation upon the subject his own opinion was that when the resistance ceased and the national authority was recognized the states would be immediately restored to their practical relations to the union two confiscation acts mr lincoln said that so far as the confiscation acts and other penal acts were concerned their enforcement was left entirely with him and on that point he was perfectly willing to be full and explicit and on his assurance perfect reliance might be placed he should exercise the power of the executive with the utmost liberality as to all questions says judge campbell's report involving rights of property the courts could determine them and that congress would no doubt be liberal in making restitution of confiscated property or by indemnity after the passions that had been excited by the war had been composed three the emancipation proclamation mr lincoln said that was a judicial question how the courts would decide it he did not know and could give no answer his own opinion was that as the proclamation was a war measure and would have effect only from its being an exercise of the war power as soon as the war ceased it would be inoperative for the future it would be held to apply only to such slaves as had come under its operation while it was in active exercise this was his individual opinion but the courts might decide the other way and hold that it effectually emancipated all the slaves in the states to which it applied at the time so far as he was concerned he should leave it to the courts to decide he never would change or modify the terms of the proclamation in the slightest particular at another point in the conversation he said it was not his intention in the beginning to interfere with slavery in the states that he never would have done it if he had not been compelled by necessity to do it to maintain the union that the subject presented many difficult and perplexing questions to him that he had hesitated for some time and had resorted to this measure only when driven to it by public necessity that he had been in favor of the general government prohibiting the extension of slavery into the territories but did not think that the government possessed power over the subject in the states except as a war measure and that he had always himself been in favor of emancipation but not immediate emancipation even by the states many evils attending this appeared to him recurring once more to the subject of emancipation he went on to say that he would be willing to be taxed to remunerate the southern people for their slaves he believed the people of the north were as responsible for slavery as the people of the south and if the war should then cease with the voluntary abolition of slavery by the states he should be in favor individually of the government paying a fair indemnity for the loss to the owners he said he believed this feeling had an extensive existence at the north he knew some who were in favor of an appropriation as high as four hundred millions of dollars for this purpose i could mention persons said he whose names would astonish you who are willing to do this if the war shall now cease without further expense and with the abolition of slavery as stated but on this subject he said he could give no assurance enter into no stipulation he barely expressed his own feelings and views and what he believed to be the views of others upon the subject for the division of virginia mr lincoln said he could only give an individual opinion which was that western virginia would continue to be recognized as a separate state in the union 
five the thirteenth amendment mr seward brought to the notice of the commissioners one topic which to them was new namely that only a few days before on the thirty first of january congress had passed the thirteenth amendment to the constitution which when ratified by three-fourths of the states would effect an immediate abolition of slavery throughout the entire union the reports of the commissioners represent mr seward as saying that if the south would submit and agree to immediate restoration the restored states might yet defeat the ratification of this amendment intimating that congress had passed it under the predominance of revolutionary passion which would abate on the termination of the war it may well be doubted whether mr seward stated the case as strongly as the commissioners intimate since he himself like mr lincoln and his entire cabinet had favored the measure it is probable that the commissioners allowed their own feelings and wishes to color too strongly the hypothesis he stated and to interpret as a probability what he mentioned as only among the possible events of the future it will be seen that in what he said upon these various propositions mr lincoln was always extremely careful to discriminate between what he was authorized under the constitution to do as executive and what would devolve upon coordinate branches of the government under their own powers and limitations with the utmost circumspection he pointed out the distinctions between his personal opinions and wishes and his official authority more especially however did he repeat and emphasize the declaration that he would do none of the things mentioned or promised without a previous pledge of reunion and cessation of resistance even in case the confederate states should entertain the proposition of a return to the union says mr stevens's narrative he persisted in asserting that he could not enter into any agreement upon this subject reconstruction or upon any other matters of that sort with parties in arms against the government mr hunter interposed and in illustration of the propriety of the executive entering into agreements with persons in arms against the acknowledged rightful public authority referred to repeated instances of this character between charles i of england and the people in arms against him mr lincoln in reply to this said i do not profess to be posted in history on all such matters i will turn you over to seward all i distinctly recollect about the case of charles i is that he lost his head the pertinent retort reduced mr hunter to his last rhetorical resource a complaint that the confederate states and their people were by these terms forced to unconditional surrender and submission to this mr seward replied with patience and dignity that no words like unconditional submission had been used or any importing or justly implying degradation or humiliation even to the people of the confederate states nor did he think that in yielding to the execution of the laws under the constitution of the united states with all its guarantees and securities for personal and political rights as they might be declared to be by the courts could be properly considered as unconditional submission to conquerors or as having anything humiliating in it the southern people and the southern states would be under the constitution of the united states with all their rights secured thereby in the same way and through the same instrumentalities as the similar rights of the people of the other states were the reader will recall that in his last annual message president lincoln declared his belief based on careful consideration of all the evidence accessible that it was useless to attempt to negotiate with jefferson davis but that the prospect would be better with his followers mr lincoln had evidently gone to fort monroe in hope of making some direct impression upon stevens and hunter whom grant represented as having such good intentions to restore peace and union 
seizing the proper opportunity he pressed upon stevens the suggestion of separate state action to bring about a discontinuance of hostilities addressing him he said if i resided in georgia with my present sentiments i'll tell you what i would do if i were in your place i would go home and get the governor of the state to call the legislature together and get them to recall all the state troops from the war elect senators and members to congress and ratify this constitutional amendment prospectively so as to take effect say in five years such a ratification would be valid in my opinion i have looked into the subject and think such a prospective ratification would be valid whatever may have been the views of your people before the war they must be convinced now that slavery is doomed it cannot last long in any event and the best course it seems to me for your public men to pursue would be to adopt such a policy as will avoid as far as possible the evils of immediate emancipation this would be my course if i were in your place the salutary advice was wasted mr stevens was a very incarnation of political paradoxes perhaps in all the south there was not another man whose personal desires were so moderate and correct and whose political theories were so radical and wrong at the beginning he had opposed secession as premature and foolish war as desperate and ruinous yet against his better judgment he had followed his cornerstone theory of slavery and his supremacy theory of states rights to the war and the ruin he foretold now at the end of four years experiment he still clung obstinately to his new theory of secession as a continental regulator and the vain hope that mr lincoln would yet adopt it when at last the parties were separating with friendly handshakings he asked mr lincoln to reconsider the plan of an armistice on the basis of a mexican expedition well stevens replied mr lincoln i will reconsider it but i do not think my mind will change and so ended the hampton roads conference the commissioners returned to richmond in great disappointment and communicated the failure of their efforts to jefferson davis whose chagrin was as great as their own they had all caught eagerly at the hope that this negotiation would somehow extricate them from the dilemmas and dangers whose crushing portent they realized but had no power to avert except by surrender and now when this last hope failed them they were doubly cast down campbell says he favored negotiations for peace doubtless meaning by this language that he advocated the acceptance of the proffered terms stevens yet believed that mr lincoln would be tempted by the mexican scheme and would reconsider his decision he therefore advised that the results of the meeting should be kept secret and when the other commissioners and davis refused to follow this advice he gave up the confederate cause as hopeless withdrew from richmond abandoned the rebellion and went into retirement his signature to the brief public report of the commissioners stating the result of the hampton roads conference was his last participation in the ill-starred enterprise davis took the only course open to him after refusing the honorable peace which mr lincoln had tendered he transmitted the commissioners report to the rebel congress with a brief and dry message stating that the enemy refused any terms except those the conqueror may grant and then arranged as vigorous an effort as the circumstances permitted once more to fire the southern heart a public meeting was called and on the evening of february sixth jefferson davis and others made speeches at the african church which judging from the meagre reports that were printed were as denunciatory and bellicose as the bitterest confederate could have wished davis particularly is represented to have excelled himself in defiant heroic sooner than we should ever be united again he said he would be willing to yield up everything he had on earth if it were possible he would sacrifice a thousand lives and further announced his confidence that they would yet compel the yankees in less than twelve months to petition us for peace on our own terms 
he denounced president lincoln as his majesty abraham the first and said before the campaign was over he and seward might find they had been speaking to their masters this extravagant rhetoric would seem merely grotesque were it not embittered by the reflection that it was the signal which carried many additional thousands of brave soldiers to bloody graves in continuing a palpably hopeless military struggle End of chapter six